services today. If you're visiting with us, you're our honored guest. I know that we have many that are joining us on social media and we welcome you as well. The worship bulletin uh, were available that lists those that are going to be involved in our song service. In just a moment, Brother Jeremy Jones will be leading us in our song service, followed by um, Aaron Foster in our opening prayer, Will Grisham with our scripture reading, Brother Ken will be talking to us today about the message from the beginning, uh, Chris Langley will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper, and then we'll have our announcements and closing prayer. Would you bow with me please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this, another wonderful day. We know that it's wonderful because we can worship Thee. We pray that all that we do today would be pleasing in Your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
First song this morning will be number 66, the new doxology. If you would stand with me as we sing this together. Praise God.
time to be Father, we humbly bow our heads at this moment. We want to start this prayer off with gratitude for just how amazing you are and how awesome you are. And Father, how you take care of us and how you, you've provided so much for us. And uh, Father, we just want to make sure we give you the glory this morning. But Father, we also at this time want to pray for the reason why we are here to worship you pray that everything that we do this morning will be in spirit and in truth. And Father, we will, we will humble our hearts and we will focus on you and we will glorify you in every single act of worship we perform this morning. Father, also, we also want to pray for every member of this congregation, every soul present this morning, every soul that was present at 830 and every soul that's been present with us online. Father, we want to we want to pray for each individual as we try to serve you, and we just ask your hand to be upon our lives as we, we try to serve you more and more and better and better each and every day. 
And as we think about this congregation, Father, we want to offer up our elders to you. We want to offer up our deacons and our ministers to you. Father, I ask you to be with Ken and Jim and Bo and Jordan, Stephen, as they do so much to serve you and to serve us. And we just pray that you'll give them and continue to give them the energy and the wisdom and everything that they need to to be your servant here in this community. We also want to pray for our search for another minister. And, and Father, we ask your hand to be upon that search and those who are making those decisions. And we just pray that you'll bless us with the, the person that will be here to, to, to help and support everything we're trying to do, which is to, to serve you. So, Father, there's many that are sick on our bulletin that, that need your prayers or need, need our prayers that need your hand. And, and, Father, we lift those names up to you now. We have many, as we're thinking about them on our hearts, we just pray that you'll, you'll take care of them as you always do. You've provided so much healing and you've provided so much, and we're so thankful for that. But we still know there are needs out there that, that need to be taken care of. And, and so we want your hand, of course, to be on those situations, but we pray that you'll, you'll help us show your love in our lives as we serve them as well. So, fathers, we close this prayer. We just now ask you to continue to, to watch over this service and, and, of course, help us have the hearts that we need to, to continue to worship you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Song of invitation will be number 924, Just As I Am, I Come Broken, if you would like to mark that. Uh, before our lesson, we'll have a couple of songs starting off with 900, sorry, 694 servant songs. Lord,
for this message wait for this message that you have heard from in the beginning that you we will should love one another Good morning everyone It is so great to see you I really hope that you had an outstanding week and now you're looking for God to bless the upcoming week if he will grant it. And I've just got a feeling it's going to be extraordinary. You mind if I feel that way? I'm just so excited about the prospect of what God is doing moving forward. And why not start this week, right? I want to share with you uh, Cameron um, Jumper, who many of you know. He and his wife, Jacqueline, have made the decision to be recognized with the congregation here. I, they were here at the morning service, so I doubt that they're here now. But isn't that great news? Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah! We love it. We are so glad that they are a part of us. And we're already seeing good things from them. They participated with us, the lads, the leaders, uh, events and went on the convention trip with us and just a very likable family. We're expecting extraordinary things out of them. So thank you for welcoming them to this congregation and we're just very excited. Uh, might be some people here this service that are here for the first time for a long time. I know that we had Several that have returned for the morning service. And it's just, is it good to be together and to participate in these activities, our, our time of worship, in Bible classes, and just generally fellowshipping, enjoying one another? We are in a series of lessons. I introduce additional lessons relative to that series at least once a month. It has to do with seeking and doing. It's based on a statement that's made by Ezra, Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, where it says that he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So Ezra got his heart right and then he searched the word of God diligently and he learned what he could learn he applied it to his own life, and then he shared that with others. And that's what we're doing. So we started by deepening our relationship with God, and then we turned to ourselves. Because you know that our relationship with God depends very heavily on our relationship with one another. Our lesson today is going to deal with the second aspect of deepening our relation to one another. Specifically, as you saw in the text that was just read, this is something that you knew from the very beginning, that we should love one another. You may think that's a no-brainer. That's easy. It's right there in the text. But I want to share with you exactly what that means and the challenges that are inherent with truly loving one another, not just saying it, but what it means to do it. Before we start that, let's pray that God will bless us in our time of 
worship and meditation in his word this morning. Our Father, thank you so much for the privilege this is to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray that our hearts are in the function of these acts today. And I pray now, Father, as we enter into this time of meditation upon your word, that you will make this very easy for us to understand and to apply to our lives. Not just to know it, but to do it, to live it. Thank you for thinking enough of us that you've given us plenty of instruction in how to relate to one another. Just help us to have a heart that is true and genuine that will act on what we know. Thank you, Lord, for helping me to communicate that in the best way that I'm able to. And I thank you that in spite of my efforts, you will make it alive in some people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's the idea. This is something you already know. This is something that the child of God has known from the very beginning, and that is that we should love one another. Now, there are basically two lines of proof for Christianity. On the one hand is objective testimony. And what I mean by that is that when you share the truth with someone, you are deriving it from the word of God and you're expressing that word untainted to another soul in the hope that they will receive that word, accept it and act on it. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Anybody who is curious about who you are as a Christian ought to be able just to ask some general questions about the relationship that you have with the Lord, what it is that made you a Christian. And you ought to, with, with great joy and excitement, be able to share those things with somebody, but certain that you are sanctifying that message, that it, it is true and it is holy. It is based on the Word of God. Or another way that Peter puts that, very same book, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. If anyone speaks, he says, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, if you're going to speak for God, then speak directly for God. Speak as God speaks. Don't just necessarily give an interpretation of something that you think God says, but express completely, exactly what it is that God is communicating. You speak as the oracles of God. Okay, so... That's one line of proof. I'm just going to take you to the book, chapter, and verse. I'm going to communicate that. You'll either accept it or you will reject it. And then either one way or the other, it's going to touch you. The second line of proof is a little bit more subjective. And that is someone ought to be able to look at you. Even if you don't say a word and be able to ascertain from what they see in you what it is to be a Christian, a proof of Christianity that is your life. Now, Paul taps that in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He said, 
I beseech you, or I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies, the tender mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or become the example. You are the one who's, who's bringing the evidence to court that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You, by the life that you're living, can be a proof to everyone else who is searching, who is seeking the Lord. You, by your life, can be a proof of what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this text, and we're going to include some verses down through verse 18. This text is John's apologetic. It is his proof of what it is to truly be a child of God. And I ask John, John, what is it that will really show that I am a child of God? And he says, it's right here, Ken. You learned this from the very beginning. And it is that you love one another. Let's start examining this by thinking about the command to love. John actually recorded Jesus' statement from the beginning right there in his gospel. In John chapter 15 and verse 12. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that there is a measure by which the kind of love we are to have for one another is made. That measure is made against the love that Jesus brings. Now, it's interesting when you examine the words that he's using here, that he's not using a common form of the idea of love. Oftentimes when we talk about love, we use it flippantly. I say I love my children or I love my parent or I love my spouse. I love pizza. You know, I hope that my love and all those other arrangements is different from the way I love pizza because... My love of pizza is kind of an on and off type relationship. I love pizza when it's hot and toasty and it's come right out of that oven and they slice it, slice it. Mm, can't you smell that cheese and that pepperoni on there? And my mouth is watering. I just can't wait to dive in. But I'll tell you, if there are leftovers and I put that thing in the refrigerator with the intention of eating it tomorrow and I forget... It can sit in that refrigerator for a few days and all of a sudden, I no longer love pizza. In fact, I'm ready just to reject it and kick it out of my life. I hope that our love for others is very different from that tentative relationship that we might have with pizza. You understand, love Love bears upon some specifics. And in this case, it is that word you've heard before, agape. The word agape has to do with benevolent action. I am acting on your behalf. 
I'm not necessarily acting on your behalf because you've asked me to. I'm acting on your behalf because I care about you. Maybe I'm caring for you even when you don't care for yourself or are not able to take care of yourself. I'm going to love you anyway. That is the kind of love that we are to have for one another. It's not fickle like maybe an emotion or a feeling could be. It's tangible because it's an action that is able to be observed. I can know when I'm receiving this kind of love because I see it. It's, it's demonstrable. Now, Jesus talked about that in other places and others in scriptures by inspiration spoke of this kind of love. For instance, Jesus said it in a more expressive sort of way in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Question, how can people know that I'm a disciple of Jesus? Well, it might be that you can just quote scripture and you can tell people all the red letter parts of your Bible. But Jesus makes it very simple. People will know you're my disciple, that you follow in my footsteps, if you have the same kind of love for them that I do, and that you express that love to one another. Jesus, then, is the benchmark. He is the foundation upon which our love not only is built, but it's the kind of love from which we draw. Because we would not naturally know this kind of love, the kind of love that Jesus demonstrates, a benevolent sort of action. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 8, that passage says to owe no one anything except to love one another. Now, the idea is not, well, you can't go to the bank and get a loan or borrow some money from your friend. That's not it. But in terms of our dependency, emotional dependency, our relationships with one another, we tend to fulfill almost everything in a relationship. If we're lacking something, we will note it. He says, you know what, there are a lot of things in your life that you can discount or put aside, but don't you ever let love be one of those things. Owe no one anything except you continue to love them no matter what. That was such a striking idea or concept in the first century that while the Jews had already had those ideas introduced to them, Gentiles, and especially those on the fringe of civilization, didn't really grasp it. They were more about themselves. And so they worshiped idols, false gods. The Thessalonian brethren, when they were converted from idols to the true and the living God, Paul says, now, you've learned something from God that, well, honestly, in your appreciation for him is something that you probably couldn't just have picked up from somebody else. So he says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 9, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. When was I taught that, Paul? Well, from the very beginning. It is foundational. Jesus said, this is my commandment, 
that you love one another. It's what Jesus taught from the very beginning. And when the gospel was preached to these Thessalonians, one of the fundamental principles that they learned was the love of God for them expressed in the sacrifice of Jesus. No greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And then there's 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, in that God sent his Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And not, beloved, if we, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So that's, that's a big word, I don't get that. That word represents our salvation. Our salvation from the wrath of God. God's wrath against sin was such that he could destroy all humanity because his righteousness can't stand in the presence of our sin. However, it is Jesus who stands between us and the wrath of God. And Jesus stands drenched in his own blood because he died on that cross, shed that blood so that we could be saved, so that our sins could be washed away, that we could be reconciled to God. He stands in the way of the absolute wrath of God. That's how much God loves us. And God calls for us to love one another from the standpoint of that intense relationship of love that we see God manifesting toward, well, us. And then, let's make sure that it's not just lip service, but that this is an absolute, genuine kind of love. Again, back in Romans chapter 12, that passage where we saw that we're going to be a living proof of, of God's love for us. In verses 9 and 10, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Okay, I get it. I am wrapped up in the love of God, but you are wrapped up in my love for you. And then vice versa. I'm wrapped up in your love for me. Why? For no other reason than the love of God directed toward us. Th that, that is the command of love. But then there is the contrast of love. Okay, so he said, we're going to, we know this, we're going to love the brethren. That's the first thing that was taught to us. He says, and not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Okay, so you know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. I find it unique that when the Bible wants to talk about love, it actually keys on something that most of us would think is the greatest kind of love. You know, that kind of love that you have in a family, your brothers and sisters, your, your parents. Listen, I'll, I'll just come clean with you here. When our son Drew was born, 
I had never met that little fella. But when he took his first breath, I was standing right there. And when they handed that baby to me, you don't think I'm as wimpy as can be. But I started crying uncontrollably. The reason I cried like that is because I, I love this baby. I love this baby. I didn't want to give this baby up. Wait, can Anita hold the baby? Oh, okay, yeah, the mother's love, yeah, whatever. But I want that baby back because I love that baby so much. Well, our babies have all grown up and now they're having babies. I don't know if I told you this or not, but I have a grandbaby now, little Millie. And let me tell you something. As soon as we could get down, we didn't see that baby for two days. And we're still waiting. Bring the baby. Bring. Finally, we held that baby. I'm telling you, the same emotions came because she's a part of our family. And when that baby looks up and smiles at me, I can feel it. It's just like it was with my daughter, her mother. How that I started getting wrapped around her finger. And all of a sudden now I feel that sense of bondage to Millie. Like I would do anything for this baby. Now why? I don't even know her. You know, I, I know she's a part of my family. And I know I love her, desperately love her. Okay, so you understand love and family. Cain and Abel, brothers. No, no extenuating circumstances in the sense that, you know, some parents will say, well, the influence of the neighborhood kids, you know, ruining my kids or what? Not in this home. There are no other families. This only family. No outside forces. Except that if you'll read the story in Genesis chapter 4, you'll find out Cain had a problem. He was angry with his brother Abel. You see, Abel was offering to God an acceptable sacrifice, and Cain was not. God was accepting Abel's sacrifice. He was not accepting Cain's sacrifice. Abel was righteous, and Cain was wicked. You know when a person becomes wicked? It's when the, it's when the heart of their humanity has the love extracted out of it. And now they are patently wicked. Now what happened in this scenario? A family, a family wrapped up in love, a love like I have for my daughter and then her daughter Millie, a love that a parent has for a child, a grandparent for the grandchild, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. Well, it was sin. And when sin came into that relationship, it caused Cain to become angry and filled with, with anger and jealousy. He rose up and took his brother's life. This text says, ah, not like that. <laughs> not like that. He was a murderer. So, I think the lesson there is pretty simple. You have anger in your heart toward a brother or sister? Don't. You feel jealousy about somebody in this congregation or somewhere else? Don't. You got any malicious intent? Won't sit on the same pew. Don't do that. What you need to do is remember the command from the beginning. 
love one another. They are not a burden to you. They are not holding you back. They are God's children, just like you are God's child. You know how much you think God loves you? That's how much God loves them too. Not a burden. I read this story about an American who had gone overseas, gone to China, and he was looking around the town. He was fascinated with the different culture, but he was especially fascinated with the children. You see, they were running around playing like they do everywhere else, except that the larger children had their siblings, the smaller children, riding on their backs everywhere. Like when the larger children would be out in the court playing, the little children were on their backs. They would get down on their hands and knees and play marbles or something like that. Little children still on the back. And the American was like, that's awful, you know. What a terrible, terrible burden to bear. And so he took one of the children and he says, I I would say I sympathize with the burden that you're carrying. He said, "Uh, he is not a burden. He's my brother. Does that ring a bell with you? It does with me. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When I bear somebody else's burden, I am fulfilling the law of Christ. The law to love your neighbor as yourself. The first commandment for the disciple of Jesus, the thing he taught us originally, love one another. So there is also the confirmation of love. Confirmation. He says, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. But whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The confirmation. Here's what you know. That you have gone from death to life. Some places will say you've gone from darkness to light. In Ephesians chapter 2 it says, And and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That wicked, ungodly Satan, the devil, he's still working in the world. Oh, but you're not that. You went from being in the world and lost that way. You've been washed, you know, you've become new. You've gone from death to life. Or I think about that passage, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. After listing a bunch of sins that will keep you out of the kingdom of God, he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Not the Spirit of the world, the Spirit of God. There's a difference. Wait, there is a difference. You heard that expression, birds of a feather flock together. You heard that. Old Luther Mormon and Joan 
they, they have, I guess it's like a Purple Martin retreat over at their place. They got plenty of units. I think the Purple Martins call ahead for the season and make their reservations. I mean, over at their place, there are hundreds, if not thousands of Purple Martins. And when they're there, it's an amazing thing to see. Anita and I went over and sat in the yard with them one day. And they'll all kind of be in their unit for a little bit. And then, all of a sudden, hundreds of them will take off in flight. We don't know where they go. Maybe they go get some water or go hunting for insects. But here in just a minute or two, that entire group of Purple Martins will come flying back. They'll go back to their units. They'll wait a little while, then they'll take off again over and over. As one group, they go. Birds of a feather flocking together. But occasionally, a hawk will come flying out of nowhere and grab one of those purple martins. Now, at that moment, do you think that there are any purple martins that go, hmm... You know, I think I want to be a hawk. (laughs) And so about a hundred of them turn and say, we're hawks now, we're going to attack. They do not do that. No, purple martins, a purple martin is a purple martin. The natural instinct, believe it or not, is for those who are unaffected to turn and attack the hawk. That makes sense. Birds of a feather flock together. You stay with who you are. There's a social phenomenon I have observed. Maybe it doesn't affect anybody in here, but it it is a true thing that happens. Like, uh, let's say football season comes on and you've got season tickets. So you've got your reserved seed and you know the big game is coming and oh no, it's going to rain or it's going to be icy. It's going to be terrible weather. That's okay. That's, that's okay because I got season tickets and this is a big game. So you're going to go out there and you're going to sit in that stadium with, I don't know, 70, 80, 90, 100,000 other people and endure for three hours that game in that inclement weather. Oh, but wait a minute. You had to get there early. Maybe you had to tailgate or go ahead and get in your seat to avoid the crowd. And then you're going to get back to the car late and it's way off somewhere because you didn't pay for the $10 to get closer to the stadium. And so you probably invested five hours there at the stadium, not to mention the fact that it took you an hour and a half to get there and now an hour and a half to get back. You've invested all that time and effort and energy and money and inconvenience to go and participate in that. But then when Sunday comes... Yeah, you know, hey, is that that big game? And so I have not the energy nor the wherewithal to make it to morning worship. But even if you do make it to morning worship, you probably did it because you felt, you know, guilt. I, I grew up being told if I didn't show up for assembly, I, I was going to lose my soul or something like that. And so I'm going to definitely be there for morning worship. But, you know, Sunday afternoon, that's optional. Wednesday night, where's the scripture for Wednesday night? That's optional too. And so, I, you know, I put in my time and did my thing. 
birds of a feather. Now, when you were there at that game, you know, you, you put up with a lot of stuff. You heard all kinds of cussing going on. You saw people drunk and acting crazy and stumbling over you. Maybe you had that occasion where they were carrying a a cup of beer, spilled that beer all over you. But you know what? Next week or two weeks from now, you'll be right back in that seat. Because that's what you do. Well, if we're birds of a feather... If we've been translated from darkness to light, if we've gone from being worldly to now having been washed of our sins, if I'm a child of God, then I'm going to be a Christian, a Christian, a Christian. I'm going to want to be with people like myself. I'm going to want to be in that worship come Sunday morning. I'm going to want to be back here at five o'clock Sunday night. I'm going to want to be here Wednesday night. You know why? Because those are my people. Because birds of a feather flock together. Those are my people and I want to be with my people. So, Ken, where's that coming from? Well, let's be honest with you. I, I'm not a big numbers guy, but I just happen to notice that We'll have so many on Sunday morning, but we don't ever have that same number Sunday night and definitely not Wednesday night. Why? Why is that? If if we are loving one another, we can't get enough of... Listen, if I could be with that Millie right now, I'd be with Millie. I want to be with that little girl because I love her. She hasn't even said the first word yet because that's my people. If I want to be with my people, I'm not going to let anything get in the way of that. Because that is my number one priority. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. We, we think of the kingdom of God as the church. So if I'm seeking the church, if I'm seeking the family of God first and His righteousness, then I don't worry about other stuff because I've got my priority right. I put first things first. I just need to ask myself when I'm involved in anything, am I putting the kingdom first in this activity? Am I demonstrating my love? Is it it a contrast enough what's happened to me? And then there is the consideration of love. He says, by this, we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Okay, here's the the consideration. Let's consider God for a minute. How how do I know he loves me? Okay, let's just go through that exercise. Here's here's how I know, because he's demonstrated it. I, I don't just have to take his word for it. 
He has demonstrated it with actions. Case in point, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 9. That text says that when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely, for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did Jesus die for us? You say, well, he died for us when he died on the cross. I read that in the Bible. Yeah, but what was the condition? When I was still in my sin, when I was unlovable, he loved me anyway. When we turn our backs because we're committing sin, he still loves us. He shed his blood so that I could have my sins washed away. Okay, there he is. And then another passage, you know very well, John three sixteen. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son to die for us so we could have life. Okay? So I get it. God loves me and he demonstrated it. So let's turn to ourselves. How do I demonstrate my love? Well, right here in this text, he gives us an illustration. He says, okay. You, you have these world's goods, right? You've got stuff. And there is a brother of yours that's in need. You have what is necessary to satisfy the need that they have. What are you going to do? You're going to be like James describes, pat them on the back, send them on the way and say, be warmed and filled. No, if you love them like God loves you, even when they're despicable, you're going to see to their need. What motivates you to do that is, is your love for them. You say, well, yeah, I, I love them because Jesus loved me. That, that's true. That's the pattern of the standard by which, but that ought to transform me so that I just do that. I just love them. I just love them. I don't just love them because I'm commanded to. I just love them because they're me. They're us. So, this is all about the proof, right? That's what we started with. We're laying out proof out there. What's the proof of your love? You could say it because, you know, you're a, you're a child of God. This ought to be pretty easy. Ken, here is the demonstration of my love. It isn't just that I say I love them. Here, here, here it is. It's this. How, how have I demonstrated my love for someone else. I, I was thinking, you know, from the beginning, we talked about those things that really testify to the truth of our Christianity, those points of reference. And we said, well, on the one hand, you know, there's that objective, the, the truth that we're expressing. Then there's my, my example, the life that I'm living. Listen, it, it is great and, and we will have classes like this along. It is great to have classes where we study and we get the details of a thing and we can prove something. Or we are able to reason through something with somebody. We can take them to the book, chapter, and verse. We can prove it with the scriptures. Great. Peace. We should know how to do that. But there is also an aspect to this where you could book, chapter, and verse them all you want to, but if your life doesn't reflect that, if they're not feeling the love from you, 
then they're not going to follow in your footsteps no matter how true what you say is. Edgar Albert said this, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should show me than tell me the way. I think that's right. Let's show them the way. How will I do it? With your love. Your love for others. If you're a child of God, that's what you're called to, right? It, it's the first thing. It's the original. Love one another. Boy, you got some outstanding issues. Got somebody. Remember, God loves them like he loves you. Let's, let's heal our relationships. Let's love one another. If you're not a child of God today, the love of God is still available through the shed blood of Jesus. You can, in our presence, experience that love by having your sins washed away by that blood. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, God raised Him from the dead, you're ready to turn away from sin and repentance, confess your faith today, you can be buried in water, have those sins washed away, rise up in newness of life, a new creature. If there's anything else that we need to pray about, that's okay. We'll take whatever time is necessary because we're family. And we just love each other so much. If there's anybody who needs to respond, why don't you come forward while together we stand and sing? Just as I am.
In Matthew 26, verse 29, after eating the bread and drinking the fruit, Jesus said, I say to you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. The kingdom that he's referring to there is is the is church, the called out body, us, Christians. This gives us the idea that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, Jesus is in our midst and he is partaking it with us. The word communion, what does it mean? It denotes the idea of fellowship or sharing, which should give us the understanding that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are actually in fellowship with our Lord and sharing in the sacrifice of his blood and his body. As he gave himself to die on the cross, we, in partaking of this communion, become united with him. The Passover that they were observing that night didn't really mean anything to non-Jews. And in the same way, the Lord's Supper, the first day of the week, doesn't really have the same relevance to non-Christians as it does to Christians. Because those who have been baptized into Christ, into his death, into his burial, and then resurrection us walk in newness of life. This is what it means to us. And this is how the Lord's Supper shows us how great a sacrifice, or a great a price, I'm sorry, Christ paid for our forgiveness. Prepare our uh, emblems here. We'll give thanks for the bread. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment where we come in fellowship with you as we partake of this memorial, this bread, this represents Christ's perfect body that came to this earth and suffered humiliation and and the death for our sins that we would be able to be redeemed. Heavenly Father, as we partake of this, may we do so in a manner that would be well-pleasing in your sight. This is our prayer in your Son's name. Amen. you'll prepare your cup. Heavenly Father, in like manner, we ask your blessings upon this fruit of the vine that represents your son's blood as it hung on the cross for our sins. May each of us remember his death and remember his, partake of this memorial in a way that would be pleasing in your sight. So I pray in your son's name. Amen. just concluded the Lord's Supper. We're also commanded to give on the first day of the week, and because of the restrictions, we've all come accustomed to this. So there are several different ways which we can do this, but let's thank God for his blessings at this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the material 
blessings that you give us here on this earth as we go about our walk with you. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would allow us to be of a servant mind that when we are earning our, our labors, or earning our rewards, that we are also thinking of what can we do to help others. And Heavenly Father, we ask your, that all the funds that we raise would be only given to your glory. This is our son, prayer in your son's name. Amen. Good morning. I'd like to take this opportunity to join with everyone else in welcoming each one of you here this morning to our Sunday morning services. To, uh, to all our visitors, a special warm welcome and let you know that our next service will be this evening at 5 p.m. If I can direct your attention to the Order of Worship Bulletin, which you should find on the back of the pew in front of you or at one of the exits, uh, there's several announcements in there. I'm just going to brush over several of them, hit the highlights, so please do take notice of those. Uh, just got handed a note, June the 12th. Please put that on your calendar. We will have a special day for grade 6 and down. Uh, it's from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. More information to come. The theme will be building the walls of our faith. Uh, Quarter four, May, June, July, we're excited to remind you that in a new quarter of Bible classes begin for all ages today, Sunday 5 p.m., Wednesday 7 p.m. We also have new adult classes, uh, Sunday 5 p.m. in the auditorium, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the Annex, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. auditorium, personal evangelism, and in the Annex, a study of stewardship and giving. Uh, please be in prayer for these classes and participate in them. We will be having an ice cream social this evening after evening services uh, uh, for all of our high school seniors. Please plan to attend. This will be hosted by SALT Team 2. Uh, in addition to that, SALT Team 1 will have a meal together this coming Wednesday at 6 p.m. in the Annex. We rejoice with Carly Chittam and Tyler White. They invite you to their wedding celebration this coming Saturday, May the 8th, 6.30 p.m. Please see the uh, bulletin for more information. Also, we've redecorated our nursery. Uh, if you have not been through there and taken a look at it, please go through and, and see all the new additions. And if you are a 2021 graduating high school senior, there's a sheet out in the foyer. Please be sure you sign that and they will be recognized Sunday, May the 16th at both the 8.30 and the 10.30 services. That's all the announcements I have at this time. If you would please stand and we'll be dismissed. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day we've had to gather together to worship you. Father, we pray that each one of us has taken this lesson to heart, that we will do better and strive to live according to thy will and also share thy will with others that we may bring them to Christ as well. Father, we pray that you will be with the leaders, both local and national, 
that they may look to you for guidance that we may turn again to a Christian nation and put God first in all of our activities. Father, we ask you that you will be with each and every one of us as we go forward every day. Father, we know that we are sinful creatures and fail to to meet thy standards every day, but Father, we pray that we will try and do better and live out thy will before others. In Christ's name, amen.